Hi, everybody. Welcome to this special edition of The Cardano Effect, episode 93, broadcasting live from warm, sunny Colorado, Florida, North Carolina. Uh, Rick is in Virginia. Amen, where, where are you from? New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. Quarantine City. What about you, Peyton? Ohio. Ohio. Corn Ohio, City. Peyton. Yeah. And Kyle's, of course, in North Carolina. Always warm, always sunny there, and mosquitoes the size of birds. Hey, hey. Uh, without further ado, off to you, Rick and Philippe. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. So if you're not familiar with this series, these are our live stream series. Usually we do it on like Sunday or Saturday, but it had to be done today. It's Friday evening. We have a lot of things to discuss. We have Charles in the house. We have some stake pool operators here, and we're going to be discussing the continuation of the ITN. I want to get right into the mix of things because I don't want to waste any time. We want a nice and succinct episode today. And we're going to answer as many questions as possible as well, if we get to the questions, because we have a lot of people today. So I'd like to remind everyone that none of what we say on this podcast is financial advice. Remember, you are your best financial advisor. And if you don't think you are, you need to find someone who's qualified to do so. Without further ado, Rick, it's been a long week. How are you doing today? What's going on? How's your Friday? Oh, happy Friday. I'm glad it's Friday, man. Thank God it's Friday. So um, it's going very well. Hey, I would like to give a shout out to the Cardano Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you very much, Cardano Foundation. We very much appreciate your support. And we'd like to remind all viewers who are new to this podcast, this podcast is available on audio streaming platforms, Google Play, iTunes, um, iHeartRadio, all the major streaming platforms, Spotify, you name it, it's on there. All right, so we're going to roll right into the subject for today. And that is continuing the ITN. Should we do it? Should we not? We need to take a vote. We need to talk about it. So we're here today to talk about it. We'll, I'll be reviewing questions in the chat. So if you got questions, make sure you let us know in the chat. Uh, but the main thing is uh, we're going to kick it off here. If Charles, if you don't mind, can you give us a general idea of what you were describing in your last two videos about how we're going to continue the ITN and take a vote? What's your take on that, sir? Well, you know, he, we were in a slight bind. Uh, first off, I, I have a mulligan on my side. So when I did the initial calculation for rewards, I thought that they ran out on the 29th. And then I realized the math was a little off and they ran out on the 19th. And I, and I only discovered that about two days beforehand. I said, shit, because <laughs> I was hoping to have a little bit more time to think about what do we do. Uh, there's a bit of a delta between when the ITN comes to an end and when the hard fork begins July 29th uh, for uh, for Cardano itself and the turning on of Shelley. And so at the very least, there's a question of, do we just lose all those rewards and uh, shut all that infrastructure down, wait four weeks and then turn it all online? Uh, or do we do something with the ITN? Do we keep rewards flowing? And uh, also, do we want that code base to die? So we were planning on having a discussion about it uh, this week and then actually opening up in a more structured way to the community. But because we kind of screwed up on when the rewards were coming to an end, uh, basically we, we kind of had to let you guys know a little sooner. But the intent of the videos that I released yesterday were basically saying, look, um, if we do nothing, rewards stop. And most of the stake pool operators were probably just going to shut down and uh, just focus full-time effort on the Haskell side of things. But what they might not be aware is that the Rust code and the Haskell code is very different. And the, we were never intending for the Rust code to converge back to the Haskell code. We, we purposely built things in a way where we use that as a rapid prototyping base. And there's massive protocol divergence at this point, especially on the network stack where Rust is using Poldercast, for example, and the Haskell stack is completely different. There's even material differences in the way that Ouroboros and the rewards work with the Haskell side versus the Rust side. And what the Rust team is really good at doing is rapid prototyping. So basically we say, hey, there's this new paper that came out. Can you guys go play with it for a few weeks, write something, release something, and let us know if it's a good idea. For example, recently there's a derivative work of Ouroboros called um, Nakamoto Proof of Stake, which is basically what we wrote, but with no epics. So instead of having a five-day epic, you can do our protocol block by block, just like NXT was doing their proof of stake, but it has similar mechanics and so forth. So is that a good protocol? Does that make sense? Would that actually fit in our ecosystem? If we were to answer those questions with the traditional processes that we're currently using with the way we build Cardano today, it would go to the scientists and the formal methods division, then it would go to the Haskell team, and there's a great degree of latency for that rollout. If we gave it to the Rust team, they'd just go build it and play around with it and potentially deploy it, try to break it and have community play around. So there's some merit to having both of these models. One is safe, one is fast. 
And if you can combine them in just the right way, then potentially you can get the benefits of both worlds, uh, a lot of safety and foresight, but at the same time, a lot of speed to market, which is something that we've historically lacked as a, uh, as a project. So to me, it does make sense to have some form of a semi-permanent experimental network running. And the difference between a traditional test net and what we're doing with the ITN is people treat the ITN like it's real because there are real rewards with the ITN. So th there's a, a bit of seriousness about it that would not be present with the Pioneer test net or these other things that you spin up, which you can shut them off, turn them on at any particular time. Uh, the question is, is that worthwhile for the entire community? Is that a direction we want to go as a community? I think at the very least, it's worth a discussion. But then we'd have to figure out, well, how do we keep it alive post-July? You know, is there going to be its own monetary policy? Is it going to be interconnected to Cardano? Is it going to be its own thing? Would we potentially use this for other products? Would we use this as kind of like an interoperability bridge between other uh, cryptocurrencies? Would we use it as a place to get Hydra out faster? Uh, that's a big discussion. There's a lot to do there. But we have to make a decision today, which is, do we keep this chain alive at all? Or do we shut it down? You know, we inadvertently, accidentally kind of launched one of the most decentralized cryptocurrencies around. I think there's 19,000 validating nodes. There's uh, there's uh, about 1,200 registered stake pools. You know, if this was just pound to pound being compared to the other top 10 cryptocurrencies, pretty good product. And it's you know, it's like a shame to just throw all the code away and turn it all off and then tell that team to go do something else. And they're not really going to be able to make material contributions to Cardano on the Haskell side as it is because they're Rust developers and they do different things and they think differently about how to contribute. And it would be a lot of work to pull them there. Uh, so that's why we're kind of bringing this to the community's attention and just basically saying, hey, if you would like for us to spend the next month thinking about repurposing this or potentially coming up with a slightly divergent plan or using it as an experimental test net that has some real value behind it that's above and beyond a normal test net, uh, then vote with your pool, leave it on. And if enough people do that, then what we can do is actually do a hard fork on chain using the voting system that was built into the chain uh, and allow people to, to basically decide whether um, rewards will be extended at least until July 29th. It's kind of an added incentive for people to stick around and pay attention and be there. Because effectively, you know, there's cost to running these pools. And what we would be doing as an ecosystem is buying those people's time to reserve the right and option to have them around come the end of July if we wanted to continue using them or not. They are businesses and service providers. You know, uh, we tend to look at this as like free labor, but uh, Peyton, you know, Mad, uh, Kyle, you guys have to pay money for hardware. You have to pay money for servers. And so if you're going to do this, then there does need to be some compensation from the community to do that. So that was the, uh, the point I was trying to convey. Of course, crypto media is crypto media. So they immediately said Cardano Classic and, uh, you know, dilution of value and we're hard forking and all this stuff. And I said, oh, come on, guys, that's that's crazy. So let's have a conversation about it and see if we can make sure that everybody's on the same page. All right. Thanks for getting that out, Charles. I appreciate it. So for the other folks here, what do you guys have to say? Uh, Pay, you med, Kyle, what are your initial questions or thoughts on this? Do you have anything comes to mind right away? Like, should I leave my pool on? You only need two thirds. Maybe I should turn it off. <laughs> No, I, I tend to think about it from a, a um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great sort of uh, thinking, by the way, um, uh, Charles, I'm, I'm sure that you've been, you know, advised or whatnot. Uh, it's an option, right? It's an option. You, you're buying an option to make a decision. And then there is an upside in, in buying that option in the sense that uh, the, the, the owners of Cardano or the owners of ADA will decide what what this ITN is going to turn into, and and by by buying time, they basically are giving the the community uh, some some digestion sort of time in order to 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 basically uh, come up with a use case that would be beneficial to uh, to to the Cardano ecosystem as a whole. Now, there's two options, right? There's two options. One one is that we just let it die, but as we all know, nothing dies. It's a, it's a ready protocol. It's somebody's going to download it, and it's going to be you know, actually, they could just come up and say, this is Cardano Classic, and boom, you know, there's a, there's 1,200 pools, right, out of 100 possible, and some of them never made a block. They will jump on this, and if the K is uh, 1,000, there's, there's going to be 1,000 pools playing some some game or whatnot, or, you know, up, you know basically upholding this protocol, and, and, and it, it, would, it, would, it would go anywhere, you know, they, they decide to take it. Now, 
do we want that outcome, which is very likely, uh, to be honest with you, or do we want it to, to represent something that could be beneficial, has, has ties to the Cardano ecosystem, and is developed in such a way that it's actually um, symbiotic? To the to the whole system, right? So if something develops on ITN, it could it could add value, or, or if something if if if, it, if it's a separate sort of project, it has some sort of a railways to connect back to to Cardano ecosystem and enrich it in one way or another. So to me, that that the answer is very simple. You know, instead of just letting it run on its own and turn into some, you know, um, Batcoin, I want I don't want to say that word. Uh, I, I I I tend to to see the, the the best way to develop this uh, um, ecosystem, uh, this this platform, is to basically um, you know control it in a way, let let it develop in a controlled way, so that the original um, people who worked on it added something very extraordinary to it. Yeah, and that co- that code is all on GitHub, so they could continue. So anyone could continue development. Philippe, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to play devil's advocate real quick and spin off what Umed said. Um, you know, at the same time, my my pool, we're going to continue running. I, I support it. But at the same time, when we're talking about value, so we're going to have the ITN and we're going to have the mainnet happening in tandem. So we have to assume that there's going to be some sort of trap value within the ITN and value within the mainnet. And Charles, in his last, in his last AMA or in his last YouTube video, he was talking about governance for wrapped assets. So wrapping different cryptocurrencies. And the way I understand wrapped assets is it provides solutions for provides DeFi solutions and multiple different solutions in order to roll certain protocols, certain solutions within your protocol. So let's say that we have governance for wrapped assets within the ITN and some company creates some DeFi solution within the ITN. And let's say they raise like a million dollars. Does that million dollars get trapped within the ITN or does that, does that million dollars, can it be, can it exist on the mainnet as well? Are we going to lose value by people creating solutions within the ITN versus them creating solutions within the Haskell mainnet? Yeah, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, the question is first, uh, are we of the opinion that everything always has to be in one bucket? Or is it an internet of blockchains? This is kind of the block stream versus the non-block stream viewpoint. So block streams like side chains, there's always one master chain and everything else is subservient to that chain. And, and Bitcoin is the master token and it controls everything and it's going to soak up all value. Um, and that's the philosophy that they've been pushing since 2013. And other people are a bit more permissive saying, well, value is people. And uh, as long as your ecosystem, whether it's five chains or 10 chains, has lots and lots of people to it, if you offer services in that ecosystem, there's plenty of ways to monetize it. And yes, while that value may not all be captured in one token as like an ETF of all those people, the network effect of all those users is still there as long as all of them are playing together. So it's an interesting question. I don't know. I, I, I feel much more comfortable with the uh, polychain model of, of having lots and lots of chains and lots of lots of different tokens some of them special purpose and pure reflections of a particular utility than trying to capture everything into um, one system. First, because you can't. Uh, and then second, uh, the reality is that some things are very complicated. And even if you can do it with a smart contract, it does make sense at times to do it at a protocol level. Like governance as a service is a good example of that. If you want to build a real nice voting system with privacy and scalability and, uh, and the ability to service lots of ballots, you have to use some heavy, heavy, heavy crypto. Implementing that crypto in a metered model like Ethereum, yeah, you'd be like 20 bucks a vote. It would be too complicated in that model. And even with Plutus, it would require a lot of heavy lifting on Plutus. On the other hand, you could build these uh, primitives in Rust into the ITN very rapidly and then make them protocol level, and they just become utilities of that particular chain. And then the value proposition of a chain is, when you send an asset to it as a wrapped asset, like wrapped Bitcoin or wrapped Tezos or whatever it is, wrapped Dash or wrapped ADA, then you could use that to gain voting power in that system. You vote, then those votes would be sent to this, the native system that's receiving it, uh, like Bitcoin or whatever, for decisions to be made. Uh, and you can send the assets back and forth. And the token regulating that system is reflecting the value that that provides. Now, we did lose some of that value from, let's say, Cardano, on the other hand, we could get that solution to market much faster, much cheaper, 
And because that thing exists uh, and, and Cardano holders more likely than not control both tokens, we have now brought that value to them faster than we could have done with a DAP on Cardano. Also, let's say there's an existential flaw in this very complicated crypto or big problem in the way that we do things. We have bulkheaded the primary Cardano network from that complexity. So that doesn't cascade and damage the primary network. So there's a lot of things to think about in terms of how fast do you want to move on your primary chain? How much value do you want to capture there? Um, how do you handle the monetary policy? Is it the case that perhaps chains pay royalties to each other where you know some of the those tokens actually get redistributed to the master chain uh, for basically being connected to it? And this is the fun part of the conversation is that you you have the freedom to explore any monetary policy. You have the freedom to go with a token-free economy if you want to and have a token-free chain if you want to, or you can have many tokens on the chain. It's the same conversation with native assets on Cardano. We're actually having this right now as we're designing the native asset standard where it is technically possible to have native assets where transaction fees are paid with the native asset. Now, from the token issuer perspective, this is awesome for them. Because if I issue a token on Cardano and it has that capability, I don't have to pay ADA for a transaction fee. I can use my own token to pay for that transaction fee. So what does this do? It would bring a lot more token issuers to Cardano because it's almost like issuing a native asset, but they don't actually have to build their own blockchain and come up with their own consensus protocol and maintain it. On the other hand, it reduces the demand for ADA if we go down that way. You see, so there's always these trade-offs. Do you value more intrinsic demand for ADA as a consequence of use and utility? Or do you value having more users overall in your system using your infrastructure because synergistically they may just so happen to use ADA services? What's more valuable to you? And this is a philosophical conversation that I'm not qualified to have. I can certainly have an opinion, but we're now we're moving into the community itself has to start working its way and deciding what's best for them. And this is an exact example of a vote which is starting to move in that particular direction. There is a potential that the ITN over time could turn into its own cryptocurrency and have its own use, utility, and value. And is the community okay with that if they happen to be somewhat vested in it or this can bring users into Cardano knowing that that value created there potentially could escape the main chain and go into that side chain now. On the other hand, it also could accelerate Cardano's technology, like the development of sidechain protocols or other protocols. Uh, and so does the fact that the existence of this thing could make us accelerate our roadmap or make Cardano do more faster, the fact that we're losing some value to that chain, does, are we making it up with the fact that we have more features and functionality faster? That's a trade-off. And there's no yeah. real right answer. And then somebody has to sit down, think it through and say, okay, I think it's a good bet. Wow. Charles, I kind of want to follow up on that. And, and before I do, I would like to ask uh, the viewers, there's a lot of people down in right now. Give me a, a yay or nay, up or down in the chat. Yes, continue the ITN indefinitely. Who knows? We've got to take a vote or no, uh, we're done. Let's move on to the main net. So just let me know in the chat. Give me some feedback there. And in relation to what Charles was saying, uh, what I was kind of curious is if we're if we're running Cardano on a mainnet simultaneously with running the Rust Jormungandr, um, is it possible that people who want to eventually deploy on the Cardano Haskell mainnet might use the Rust version of it could be a mainnet? Let's just say it became the Rust mainnet. They could deploy an asset on there, test it, see how they like it, make sure it works the way they want it to, or even use it on Rust, and then eventually. It's compatible with Cardano and it can transit over to the Cardano side. Is that something that's possible? That, that could be something that we could achieve in the roadmap. But here's an alternative. We could actually have parallel computational models. If you guys read the original Why Cardano white paper, we had this idea of Cardano SL and Cardano CL. The concept of CL was saying that we're not going to bet the farm on one computational model. So let's say you love functional programming, but you think that the world's developers like Java a lot more and imperative development a lot more, or that something like the EVM is just the standard and Charles is wrong. Well, one of the things that could happen if you had uh, two chains running is one chain can run the Plutus model, the other chain can run the EVM model, and you actually could build it so that the smart contracts can be powered by ADA either or as a metering token. So if you prefer the EVM model, you could deploy it on the ITN, for example, build dApps there and use ADA to power them. And if you like the Plutus model, you think it's better for you and your business, you could deploy apps on the main chain 
and both would create demand for ADA. And there would be a bridge between both systems and you could wrap mainnet ADA to basically feel the EVM on the ITN. So that's an example of where you never actually have to port your infrastructure from one and we would get faster interoperability with a market uh, with uh, a market incumbent uh, if that's a role that we wanted to go down. Uh, so that's an example where we use it. Or the other option would be trying to get them close to each other, but for some reason the ITN's ahead of the Haskell network, uh, in which case you would deploy on the ITN as a test bed to redeploy on the uh, the main system. You could certainly do that as well. And actually the way we design the ITN is it's fairly poly- polylithic and modular. So it would be simple for us to get smart contracts mm-hmm. there one way or the other, or even explore alternative models like WebAssembly or Yella, for example, reintroduce that back into the roadmap. I wonder if it would be possible for the Rust ITN to ever run like Plutus. Is that... Uh... Yeah, it could. We'd actually have to write Plutus core in uh, Rust. So this is one of those examples where Haskell's actually faster because the Haskell infrastructure is significantly easier to deploy Plutus on than it would be on the uh, the Rust side. But on the other hand, it's actually easier for us to deploy Yella on the Rust side than it would be on the Haskell side. So if we wanted to bring the K stuff and Yella back into the roadmap, that's how we would do it quickly and test it quickly. Interesting. All right. Well, for my last question, it looks like the yeses outnumber the noes about four or five to one. So good. That's not an official vote. I actually have another <laughs> question. So uh, when we yeah, said there's yeah. a vote, I, and I'm very curious about this. So. The first step is just seeing if the stake pools even want to do this or not, because you guys are business operators. And at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. Do you want to bear the cost of rolling the dice and seeing if you're going to get compensated to run this network for another month? So that's that's one group of people that we need consent from. But then as for the ADA holders, is a question of, is the snapshot that was done back in November representative enough of the current ADA community, or do we do another snapshot, let's say on the 26th or 27th, and then allow ADA holders to vote with this refreshed snapshot for a more representative sample of do we uh, basically pay the stake pool operators uh, for another month to run the network? So, uh, you know, that's the question I'm really interested in because we can do either or. We can reboot the ITN with um, a new Genesis snapshot from a new distribution uh, that's more representative of current ownership. Or we could run the vote with the uh, the old snapshot, but there's a bit of a drift. Some of the people who came on board since November will not be able to participate in that. But I don't think that number is huge. It's probably less than 5 or 10%. We'd have to look at it. Okay. Well, thanks for explaining that, Charles. Pay, hey, we'll get to you in a minute if you got any questions. So uh, from this point, anyone who's following along in the chat, please let me know in the chat. Should we go with uh, the first option there? Would we do a new snapshot? Or keep the old snapshot. So let me know, new or old, not yes or no, new or old in the chat. You want new, you want old. So <laughs> go ahead and punch that in the chat. And uh, and then what we'll do is, uh, hey, what's your inputs on this? What's your take as a pool operator? You got any questions? You got something you want to put out there? What you got, buddy? Okay, so there's a couple questions that I kind of wanted to touch on. Um, I'm going to start off with the basic question. So stake pool operators are like obviously small business owners. So when we think we built like... Um, we build a lot of communication with our delegates. So it's going to be kind of weird to just have a month where we're not keeping that communication up and keeping our brand building up. So I think a lot of stake pool operators are going to like, I think it's probably a 99% chance that more than 70% of pools are going to stay up. And, um, and it's just because, just because they're going to be making more money, you know, um, as far as the old or new snapshot, um, I, it, for me, it would be more representative of my ADA holdings if we took a new snapshot. Um, I'm really curious about what other ADA holders would think of that as well. Yeah, it looks like what it's do, what do you think more 50-50. I think it's looking more 50-50 between new and old. There's a lot of olds. There's a lot of news. Um, so that one's a tight. It's tight. It's hard yeah. to tell. There's The recent ones say new, but there's a lot of people saying old. Yeah, because the old is kind of like a reward for being loyal in the ecosystem mm-hmm. and uh, kind of having a long-term investment in uh, our success and progress. New is obviously anybody who comes after November uh, would be like, hang on a second here. I want a voice. I want to be able to vote. So <laughs> I can kind it's of a, see it both ways. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be good. Uh, pay it, ask me, what, what do I think? I think it'd be good to introduce new people because there yeah. have been many, many people yeah. in the Cardano official Telegram chat asking, when mainnet, how can I stake? And there, so I think what would happen is if if you were to do a new snapshot, you would get a really good idea of how many more people are now interested in, and you would see a better representation of the group. 
Although I'm sure there's, it's a lot more effort involved in doing, I don't know, maybe, but yeah, I think all the pools, all the pools would have to re-register. Yeah. I get people every single day asking, how do I delegate to your pool now? Um, I, I wasn't, and I have to tell them every day, you had to be there for November 30th for this snapshot. So I think a lot of people would be really happy with that because there's a lot of new ADA holders actually flooding the ecosystem right now. And a lot of people don't even know that the snapshot date was all the way back then. And your pool is pay ADA. What's the exact ticker? Um, it's pay AD. Um, that was supposed to stand for paid, but I'm actually going to change that to pay DA. Uh, it's a little more catchy to me. Yep. And then my actual uh, pool is called pay DA. Okay. Well, people got about six hours left. Get delegating to pay DA. <laughs> Unless we go on for another month. <laughs> yeah. I'll get it in the epoch tomorrow. That doesn't count. I appreciate it. <laughs> No, I, I, if I could make a, a comment from a, a, you know, the way I see it uh, play out is that if we go the second route, which means, uh, you know, doing the second uh, snapshot, the chances of ITN living and, and prospering is going to actually going to increase because there's nobody in the world who would just opt into a system um, and then say, yeah, let's just kill it. No, it doesn't work that way. The reason why there's a lot of people, I think, who are saying no is because they missed the boat in, in November, I think. And they want, they want to be in. So if you let them in and this system could take off, that's, that's my take on it in the sense of like probably probabilistically thinking about the outcomes. I like your concept. Yeah. That's a very fair point. Why aren't we talking about this new Genesis redistribution option? <laughs> <laughs> because actually we have the capability to do that. So we actually wrote the code for the hard fork where it's right now in QA. And uh, Nicola reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, if we wanted a more representative vote, we could do a new Genesis distribution for the purposes of the vote. And then basically do the extension on the new distribution as opposed to the old distribution. Because there is a delta between the ownership in November of last year and the ownership today. There's been a lot of recent interest in ADA and a lot of new people that have uh, come in. On the other hand, you know, there is something to be said about brand loyalty and, you know, sticking around and people who were there in the beginning, perhaps they should have a little bit more influence and say, I, but this is the fun part about governance. And actually uh, it's a huge priority of ours. So we'll have a lot to say about governance in particular at the virtual summit, July 2nd. And we've even built a lot of really cool stuff and it's going to be super cool to, to get into that. Uh, but this is uh, an unintended uh, and unexpected but necessary conversation that we need to have now because it really is the first major decision that the community gets to make completely on its own. Uh, you know, we, IOHK doesn't really matter here. You know, we're a small fish compared to the totality of all the ADA that's in uh, circulation and uh, the totality of the stake pool operators that are in circulation. So basically, whatever way it goes, um, shut down or live, uh, old or new, uh, we're, we're happy to go along with that. It's just a question of, can we come up with something in a month that's worthwhile? We'll make a proposal and if the community can think about it and we'll have some tools to help the community for that soon. Uh, but uh, overall, it's uh, it's uh, your, your first time as a community to really have a, a significant say in the future of Cardano. This will also help me as a system architect because again, it goes back down to these decisions of do we maximize speed and network effect or do we maximize token value capture? which one actually produces more value for the growth of Cardano and the long-term durability and sustainability of Cardano. There are things we can do to get lots of users really quickly um, that don't necessarily reflect an appreciation of value for ADA, but makes the ecosystem as a whole more valuable for providers. Uh, that, uh, Or we could focus on other things that try to suck as much value into the ADA token, but don't necessarily get us more people in the ecosystem. A small example yeah. was the native asset, but we could also talk about multi-asset for the Daedalus wallet. Like I could go make a deal with Bitcoin Cash and turn the Daedalus wallet into a Bitcoin wallet. Uh, or uh, I can make a deal with Dash and turn that into a, a Dash wallet. So if somebody downloads Daedalus, then they'd be downloading a Dash and Bitcoin Cash and a Cardano wallet. By the way, that creates a full node for our ecosystem because it'll carry a full uh, a copy of the uh, Cardano blockchain. And peer-to-peer -peer is turning on soon, so that adds... Uh, real value to the network. On the other hand, that won't appreciate the token ADA very much outside of the fact that maybe some of these people will buy the ADA token. So these are some of the philosophical decisions that and strategic decisions we as an ecosystem have to start working on and they create roadmap priorities which are or protocol priorities that are slightly divergent. 
Yeah. You know what I think is going to add the greatest value to the token is once people realize that Ouroboros works as it was designed in the research papers and that it has the same security properties as Bitcoin, yet uses six orders of magnitude less energy. Yeah, that's that, a good point. And we're trying to get a Wikipedia page. Apparently, Hashcraft gets one, but we don't get one. That's a so stupid. Too. Yeah, we don't have a Wikipedia page. We, <laughs> yeah, there's dark forces in the background that we are aware of, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Rick, I want to pose a quick question to other stake pool operators. So I want to jump off of what Peyton said. Stake pool operators, we're running small businesses here. And at the end of the day, we have our own business models and we're trying to achieve our certain goals. So do you think the continuation of the ITN, and this is just uh, anyone could take this question. If we look six months or eight months or a year into the future, do you think it's going to fracture the community even more? Because let's say ITN or testnet ADA becomes a tradable token. It gets added to some major exchanges. You, we know how crypto works. Someone pumps it. They may not even be part of the Cardano community, but someone pumps in and all of a sudden, as a stake pool operator or as a small business owner, you're making a greater profit actually running your testnet pool versus your Haskell pool. Will that will we lose stake pool operators because they're going to say this as a more viable option long term? What do you guys think? Well, if I if I can take that question off, Philippe, um, I, I think if you haven't started in the beginning to support this project and down the road you decide, oh, you know, uh, the, the ITN coin is, is more valuable. I'm just going to go turn that on. Um, you, you're going to have a lot of sort of uh, uphill battles there because your, your space is going to be taken immediately with the eager people who are actually are willing to support this project. So, um, and the, the second thing is that, um, no matter where the prices lie, my personal view is that Haskell and the way that Haskell was, was built is completely solid in, and, and it has a completely different properties, completely different value proposition than the ITN. As much as I love ITN and I, and I share lots of stories with, uh, you know, the, the, the pool operators here, uh, you know, Kyle, uh, especially we were talking about you know, babysitting our nodes and making sure that it runs every day, no matter how much you, you script, uh, you, no matter how much you put effort in making sure that it runs, it, 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 in early days, you would just stop. So you had to wake up every two hours to make sure that you hit your, your blocks. I mean, there's a lot of pain involved in, in making making ITN work in early in the in, in the beginning, especially. I mean, it's it was just like having another kid, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> really, that was bad. damn true. I really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> it was my first kid. January was rough. <laughs> yeah, it was. it was rough. Um, I was I was this close to to actually quitting. This was there was one day when I <laughs> I came I came to my bedroom and my wife was like, "What's going on?" I said, "Well, I." Waited for the whole night to get this block, and somebody snatched it from me. I mean, it was like it on was an adversarial block, fork right? at three in the morning. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was that so sucks. close. I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna do this. You know, if it keeps doing that way, but you know, thank God, Michael Fazio. You know, that guy's a hero to me. Um, he came oh, up yeah. with some fancy stuff it, to, to actually make the notes. No, it's yeah. stable, to be honest. Anyway, I, I don't want to take too much time, but I want to say that Haskell is going to be Haskell. And no matter what the price does in the interim, um, it's going to change the world. I really believe in, 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 this, in this platform and the way it was built. I've, I've watched, um, uh, you know, I, I watched uh, Charles Hoskinson from the very beginning, and I was involved in the community in 2017, and I believed every single word that he says, and and I and I believe in the philosophy, to be honest. And and I'm not some gullible guy who doesn't understand anything. I've I've had 10 years of experience in banking. I understand how money works. And if if you keep the promise of Cardano, uh, and if you keep the promise of Haskell, uh, the way it was designed, I I I I am very sure that it will create value beyond what. Is conceivable at this point. It as 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 Charles described it. It's a very small pond right now, and and the potential is to to become an ocean. 
Yeah, um, and that's and, and even within that very small point, upon to your point, uh, where does most of the value capture currently lie? It lies with stability and predictability. Bitcoin is still the most valuable asset in the entire ecosystem. Uh, and mostly because people trust it and they know it's going to be around here tomorrow. And if you took a poll of everybody in the cryptocurrency space and outside the space and say, will Bitcoin be here in 10 years? I think the vast majority, regardless of where they sit, would believe that Bitcoin has staying power. Um, and it has a, de- a degree of resilience about it and predictability about it that people admire. So the beautiful thing about Cardano Haskell is that the way we constructed it, th- there's, it's just built on granite with steel reinforced girders. I mean, the damn thing is going to be here forever. It's a beautiful protocol. It's It's got a lot of wisdom in the way that Duncan put things together. And we just know the code works. And the fact that we've been able to so rat, rapidly debug and uh, pull all these extremely complex pieces together and test things like the hard fork combinator and so forth, and it just happens the way we thought it was going to happen with limited or no modification, is a testimony to the power of formal methods. So I, I agree with you completely that there's enormous value there, especially for Fortune 500 and especially for people that care a lot about predictability. I think the other side of it is, you know, how do you do effective governance? This is the one area where everybody's gotten it wrong in our entire industry. This is why we have the Bitcoin caches and the Ethereum classics and why we have 3,000 altcoins. Not all of them are cash grabs. Most of them are some form of governance disagreement. I remember when I was running Ethereum, we were always worried about NXT because those guys were ahead of everybody. And they were running hard and uh, they had a lot of great ideas, automated transactions for smart contracts. They had tons of great ideas on how to issue user assets. They had a multi-asset wallet. They had an idea for a DEX. If they could have just kept together and kept cohesive, they would have been right there, right next to Ethereum and probably outpaced us because they had more development velocity. Instead, they fractured into Crypti and Lisk and Scora, Scorex and all these other things because the governance side of the community just really wasn't where it needed to be. Uh, so that's our great challenge as we emerge and we're now given serious consideration by the world. This virtual summit, over 4,000 people have registered. I'm going on a big podcast surge. I'm probably going to do 25 before the uh, before July. And my hope is to get to 10,000 people with our 100 speakers, maybe turn it to 200, who knows. And we got the Wall Street Journal coming. We got all these great media sources coming and they're going to write stories about what is Cardano. And for the, a lot of people are going to hear about this for the first time and be exposed to the first time. So it's our opportunity to tell the world who we are, what we value and why we're going to win. And uh, it can't just be safety and stability because Bitcoin does own that. And we can certainly beat them and have, in my view, beat them there. And it can't just be utility and use and capabilities because there are other people that have utility, use and capabilities. And we can't win all those fights all the time. It also has to be the fact that our community can have tough debates. Our community can have contentious things hit our way and deep philosophy come around. And yet somehow, despite that, we can converge to a solution and answer without relying on a cult of personality and without relying on a custodial entity just to decide for everybody or descending to what happened with Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, where good people turned bad and became evil, uh, you know, according to half of the ecosystem. So um, so that's, that's really, I think, the missing piece and what will get us to get into not only the top five, but potentially even challenge Bitcoin itself is it, can we achieve that? And I view the ITN debate as like the first of many, many, many hundreds of arguments and debates we're going to have because there's a surface level question, but that's never the real question. Okay, do we keep it on or not? But you ask why, and they get to a layer beneath it. And you ask why, and you get to a layer beneath it. And then you ask why, and keep going and going and going. And then you start asking that ultimate question of what will keep us around 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Why should we win? Why should we produce value? What really does it mean to hold ADA? What is ADA all about? You know, what is this everything? Is it something? If we had to strip it all down and say it only does one thing, is it going to be that? And so forth. One final point on this is there's a question of how fast do we want to innovate? Uh, right now, we have to do it very rapidly because we have to catch up on capabilities. But once we have stable consensus and ledger and everything's working well and we have smart contracts, is it okay for us to just slow down? and focus on the layer two stuff and the DAP portfolio and the DeFi and just let the protocol be stable for a little while and not really push that heavily? Or do we want to really dial it to 11 and push very aggressively and start uh, making major next generation changes? Like 
Right now, proof of stake has operated the same way it's always operated for nine years since PureCoin, which is if you own some of the token, you have influence and your influence is proportional in some way to the amount of token you hold. Okay, well, that's a plutocracy at some point. Well, why don't we introduce a concept of proof of merit? Whereas if you do certain things, you also get influence in the system that gives you the ability to delegate for votes and for consensus control or some other mechanism that doesn't require a plutocratic reign. Okay, well, that's a hard problem. And there's a dozen other hard problems that we could crack from ledger-based sharding to a truly distributed ledger instead of a replicated ledger to introducing recursive snarks into the ledger. And that's another thing is like, do we really want to dial it up to 11 and chase some next generation technology that not only puts us on par with everybody, but leapfrogs everybody by like four dimensional chess and just takes us into a different dimension. Uh, But we have to understand that by doing that, we're going to have to have a mechanism to do that quickly or else we'll run into the same problem we ran into before where it takes five years to bring it to market. We don't want to pay that price anymore. We're, we're now here. We have to move quickly. So that's another part of this conversation about the ITN is, will this be a potential mechanism to help accelerate the roadmap or should we use another mechanism? But if we go too quickly, we break what we've earned, which is we're the safe and stable system. You see, so it's a delicate balancing act. And you guys yes. now get to mull and think about this stuff for the first time and really have a huge impact and opinion about it. Yeah. I think the main question people will ask is, are there resources that end up working on the ITN that could otherwise be working on Haskell and make a bigger, better, faster, stronger Haskell, or those resources being scraped off, those talented people being used for Rust? I think you answered that at the beginning, Charles, with it's a different team. Is that correct? Yeah, or yeah and that's, that's how we operate. Whenever we do things, we put not only a different team, we write it in a very different programming language with a different culture and style, with different product and project management, so that there's almost no overlap between those teams. Now, there are connecting points between the Rust and Haskell team, and that's the Adrestia team. The wallet backend works on both sides. So that's nice. But uh, other than that, there's really no slowdown if we use the ITN to go explore some crazy idea. Haskell's going to Haskell, and it's just going to do it at its own pace. Those guys are moving it the way they want to. All right. You know, we have a hard fork combinator, and maybe eventually we'll have a multi- threaded whatever blockchain combinator where they get the rust over here and ask over there and there's this magic device that brings it all together who knows who knows it's something to think about all right is there any uh any other questions that we should ask the viewers people who are dialed in on chat that we'd like to know one of the questions was uh people want a new up and down vote now that enough and you've had some dialogue here do you want new or old so anyone who's still dialed in would you want a new snapshot or you still want the old snapshot? Now that you've heard some discussion and read some of the comments and chats, let me know in the chat and also let us know if you have any questions for the forum that we have here, the, the group. Okay. All right. What else we got, Philippe? Anything? Yeah, Charles, I just wanted you to expand a little bit on your last video when you said that you would reintroduce Yella into, into the ITN. How, how exactly would that work? And would Yella, if it was successful in the ITN, would it port over to the mainnet? Yeah. So uh, when we implemented the ITN, uh, Vincent actually did a full implementation of the Chimeric Assets um, uh, protocol. So you can actually move between a UTXO system and an accounts-based system back and forth pretty seamlessly with uh, with his design. We didn't do that on the Haskell side. We did a partial implementation just for uh, staking rewards because that was the first use case of it. So what that functionally means is that you can take your testnet data and move it to an accounts-based model. And because of that, we could just simply have those accounts be smart contract style accounts like Ethereum has. So we could pull Yella in and actually have that same accounting model and that same computation model if we wanted to, or we could actually pull the EVM wholesale and if we uh, if we wanted to and uh, run that or something else like maybe a web assembly with accounts. Uh, but there is a question of do we have a production ready uh, you know virtual machine to do that and is it modular enough to plug in? Yella was made to be modular and we actually did test it with Cardano CL back in 2018. We took the Mantis code base and. We plugged in uh, Yella and the EVM and got them working. Jer Maroney was the uh, project manager with RV there. So we'd have to 
dust that off, explore it a little bit and see. And we potentially could just take the, um, the K-derived variant of Yella and see if it's fast enough to do some reasonable testing with. But it's an example of something that we could reintroduce. Now, what would be the value proposition of this? It means you could write Solidity code and compile Solidity code to run on basically a Cardano-esque system. So similar network stack, similar uh, consensus protocol and these things. And you get a sense of what an ERC-20 token, for example, or uh, MakerDAO or something would look like in our ecosystem. Uh, and you'd be able to port that code very rapidly. And any assets created, if we had a sidechain bridge between the ITN and the mainnet, would be able to free flow and ra from one system to the other system, for example. So it would give us a way to basically treat the ITN like uh, Cardano CL be its own computation layer and have a different computational model than base Plutus. So that would be an example of that. Uh, but it, that's what I meant in the video was that we have the freedom to explore that. And we could certainly design a roadmap for that and probably bring it in before the end of the year as a uh, something to explore. There are other things we could do as well. Like we could go and build an Oracle service and, and do our own variant of Chainlink, for example. We could go and do a governance as a service blockchain. So it doesn't necessarily just have to be a different computational model. It could actually be a special purpose chain. And then that token takes on the form of that particular utility. It becomes basically like Link, for example, or maybe it's a stablecoin experiment or something like that that we wish to conduct. Okay, like the New Balance colored coins, but uh, well, we actually do anything. That the native asset uh, is kind of like color coins plus plus plus. Um, the way we designed it, it's everything color coins wanted to do. And if Satoshi got a do over on Bitcoin, he probably would have used this as uh, as his basis for accounting because he wasn't aware back then that the huge demand that people had for issuing assets. I mean, like it was name coin and 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 you know Bitcoin. That was pretty much it. Uh, so no, the and yeah, it's like oh, just fork the code and just have a different monetary policy or something. Didn't really think about fungible and non fungible and permissioned ownership and security tokens and you know spending policies and these types of things. That's a lot of stuff to think about. And the way we're designing our native assets is it captures a lot of these things and it uses the same accounting model and transaction system as the uh, as ADA uses. So all of them are together. So what that function means is it's very easy for Adrestia to work with all of them. So Daedalus can become very easily a multi-coin wallet. So if you issue an asset on Cardano, it'll just, you have a wallet already. You can use Daedalus and Uroi will probably support that as well. And it also means that listing of that asset is very simple. If you've listed ADA, it should be very easy to list a native asset that uh, is issued on Cardano as well. So that's a value proposition that we get. Uh, one thing we're exploring right now are actually uh, vanity addresses with BEC. So the BEC32 standard allows us to do this, and we're trying to see if we can inject some metadata into the asset issuing so that you can create uh, addresses that are prefixed with your asset name. So if Philippe issues Philippe coin, uh, then the addresses that when you send Philippe coin around would just be like, you know, Philippe and then some numbers as opposed to just a normal address. So you actually not only have you know, potentially be able to pay fees in the native assets uh, token, but you even get your own addresses in the system. And, you know, Ethereum doesn't offer that. And other people don't offer that. You can also use those for businesses as well. Like Binance can have vanity addresses. And you can even talk about authenticated addresses with Prism, where you create an identity space and you sign the address, and then you know you're sending it to Binance's address. And then it works both ways. Binance can request you to sign your addresses, and then they know that they're sending it to uh, Rick's address. So it uh, accommodates the travel rule and adds two-factor security to withdrawals from exchanges. So these are the capabilities that are actually coming with Shelley. And um, it's all just built right into the to, to ledger. The native assets will come a little after, but they'll still be in the Shelley horizon. I'm glad you understand it. <laughs> Pay, paying fees in native address, paying fees with the native token is a, is a huge deal. It's huge. Yeah. And also as a stake pool operator, that means you guys are actually running an ETF instead of an ADA only pool, because you would actually get the transaction fees in that. So what that means is that you would actually get not only ADA as a transaction fee, but then every other asset issued on the system, you'd collect all those as well. And if any of those go to the moon, then maybe make a hundred X on your transaction fees. Or something sure. Like, that. Yeah. <laughs> like Kyle has the Adoja project. Kyle Adoja, that would be like a native asset you could run on Cardano. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've already got it built out working in a centralized system and, you know, we're doing transactions for IoT profiles and that kind of stuff. And and just the whole, the native asset ability just changes the way we architect the smart contract, hands down. And it it, it, it simplifies the tokenomics. Um, 
makes it easier for our users. So yeah, it's a, it's a very big deal. I'm excited about that. And this is the first time I heard about it. So yeah, we got two papers we've written and there's going to be um, several dedicated presentations on that whole thing in the, uh, in the virtual summit. So make sure that you, you see that because they're, they're definitely going to talk a lot about it. And these things are almost designed and we're actually pulling them in pretty quickly. So the, their deployment time horizon is this year and not like December, much earlier than that. So, uh, so I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised. And what we'll probably do is we'll probably stage it so that we do the fungible, non-fungible utility side first. Then we add spending policy so we can do permission ownership, which also covers security tokens. So we have kind of like two segregated standards, but they both work in the same native asset framework. And again, Addressdio will be a multi-asset framework, so it'll support that. Daedalus will be multi-asset. One thing we're not sure about is how do we get Ledger there, too? So if you issue an asset on Cardano, Ledger will just natively support it. You don't have to do anything for that. I see. So, uh, so we're, we're seeing if we can make that happen. Now we're talking Vacuum Labs is the contractor that we're using with... Um, Ledger to do the firmware update, and it'll be the next scope of work after they finish the Shelly support with their with their firmware update. So I wanted to take a step back uh, back to the conversation of new or old. Um, one yeah. thing that I do think is important: if we do decide to do a new snapshot, we need to include all the rewards that we already made from Jormungandr, like just to continue the chain. And I think you said that we're getting the rewards on mainnet. I think August third, off the top of my head. So if it would be hard to do a new snapshot in the middle of July if we're getting our rewards on August 3rd, you know? Is it hard? Is if that hard? the rewards have stopped, then it's not hard. If the rewards have stopped, yeah. yeah if the rewards have stopped, it's not hard because it's not a moving target. And that's that's functionally why the stake pool operators have to vote first, because you guys are going to run the network for free at a loss until the vote occurs. So this is a financial decision a stake pool operator has to make, knowing that they're taking a risk of uncompensated work. Uh, and they're basically signaling to the community, if you want us, we're here. Uh, if not, well, you know, obviously uh, we're going to go do something else. As for the snapshot, including the ITN rewards, I don't think that's necessarily too hard to do. And, uh, you know, there's only ever going to be 45 billion ADA, so it all comes from the same pool. And, uh, and the accounting is is pretty easy to think through. So I, I'm sure we can come up with a script to, to include that. I'll talk to Romain and Nicola about it. I know we, we wrote one to port the rewards over and we've already tested that script. Um, and that's part of our, um, now we're gonna test it with the balance check. And uh, that script will go live on the 29th when we do the hard fork update of uh, 29th of July, when we do the hard fork update to roll the rewards over. So an extra month, we just basically change a few parameters in it, and we're taking it from that same 14 billion unminted ADA. As for voting power, as long as you have the private keys associated with those balances, you should be able to vote with it. Okay. okay. All right. So let's uh, circle that back. As Pei was saying earlier, we're going to circle, circle things back. We're approaching the hour. Um, we're not time limited by the clock. It's not our measure of effectiveness here. But um, – I think one of the big questions is how do we do the vote? Okay. Um, is it, should I do a Twitter poll for the vote? Is that official? Or is the chat feed? <laughs> no, 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 man. <laughs> the vote will be, um, if you guys, two thirds of the staple operators leave it on, uh, the vote will be on chain. We actually built some governance mechanics that we never used on the um, ITN. So what will happen is Romain and uh, Nicola will either do a video or a blog post or both. Uh, with the next few days, uh, basically explaining how to use a command line to vote. And then I guess we got to sort out this whole new Genesis block or not. And then there'll just be a process that you follow, and then uh, we'll run that through as the first governance experience. So you actually get okay. to use the blockchain itself to do it. So it'll tally all those votes. So is that going to be out of every pool created or active pools? No, actually, Good anybody question. who has ADA. Okay. So so that that that, that was actually my, my, my uh, uh, thought. Is it possible to kind of integrate that into Euroi or Daedalus? Because I think a lot of people wouldn't know how to use the CLI. Yeah, and not in uh, not in six days. Humid could write. <laughs> come, on, <laughs> come on, Humid. The boat's you, gonna go you, our way. I'll make some videos. Humid <laughs> just started learning Linux like what eight months ago. Humid, yeah. you could write a script, and yeah. people could execute the script and put put in a yes or no. Right. Um, you could write a script for that, bro. I know you can do it, man. We, we have actually been trying to come up with a very nice user experience for voting, and uh, we'll have certainly a lot to say about that at the conference. But as it stands right now, unfortunately, because of time constraints, 
Uh, this is just going to have to be with what we have. We understand it's not optimal, but you know, the, the ITN has always been kind of a power user playground, yeah. uh, which is why the staking is only around 40, 45%, I think, of the total supply is staked. Whereas Daedalus is, um, you know, with mainnet is going to be significantly more user-friendly. So we anticipate that number going up to 60 to 70%, just depending on how much sticks behind on exchanges. And then eventually exchanges are going to offer staking as a service, like Bison Trails is going to do that and so forth. I wish I had a better user experience and... Um, we are planning one. It's just the, the time slots don't match up, unfortunately. And if we had an additional 20 or 30 days, we probably could do something like that. But I don't want to delay the launch of Shelley, uh, and I don't want to divert any resources for this from the launch of Shelley. Yeah, that's a good point. As long as people understand that, whether or not the ITN continues does not affect when Shelley launches. There's right. Correct? That's yeah. no effect. Yeah. Right. Okay, guys, we're at the top of the hour for the podcast, at least the hour marker. So anything else you want to add input? Um, sky's the limit. You want to talk about food? Uh, I don't know. It's anything. Any last questions? Let me know what you guys got. Before, I just want to remind everyone. So everyone who's in the audience right now, the summit is taking place July 2nd and July 3rd. So make sure you go on cardanosummit.iohk.io and you can register for free. So you don't have to be there all day. If you have a few hours in the day, you can check it out. There'll probably be reruns. People will probably be doing videos on YouTube as well. It's going to be a very interactive experience. And there are a lot of people that are going to be speaking. And it's an all-day event. So wherever you are on the globe, you'll be able to catch some events. So please go and make sure that you register if you haven't registered already. All right. Thanks for Philippe. I'm glad you put that out. We'll get that put. Oh, I get that added to the links in the description down below. There were a few questions in chat. One person said, uh, EOS doesn't work. I doubt Cardano will. <laughs> We're yeah. going to put your name on that list. <laughs> Where's this We're list gonna, at? <laughs> We're putting your name on a list. It's decentralized. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you're going to get a bag of burning dog poo. So uh, <laughs> there was a question in here. Paint chips, um, man. Paint chips. Paint Lead paint chip paint poisoning. Chips. It's, it's contagious for some reason. Every time I do uh, that, my uh, my PR people are like, stop it, Charles. It looks terrible. Stop doing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm just as bad. Philippe caught me on it a couple of times. Uh, he beats me up. I called, I said window lickers a couple of times. Oh, <laughs> I got that from favorite. Kyle, though. Yeah, that's my favorite. I got that from Kyle. <laughs> Kyle has ah. the best ones. You play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That's Man. another one I got from you. Yeah, that's that's a good quote. That's a good uh, quote. He's got a million of them. Okay, there was a there was a question. Uh, we, we won't turn it into an AMA, but uh, any other questions that are related to this subject, please let me know. Also, leave your questions down below in the description if you have questions, ideas, inputs on how voting uh, is going to work or what you think. Uh, old snapshot, new snapshot. And so on. Um, so, guys, was that a good discussion so far? Do we have a little bit better understanding of how, what we need to do moving forward? And that there will be a vote by basically the pool operators to keep the pools running because they're the people who have all the skin in the game and all the, the hardware and infrastructure and virtual servers set up to keep it running. So is that a good summary? Yeah, I just kind of want to add to that. You know, a lot of the pool operators – you know, there's a lot of guys that work really, really, really hard, engage the community, helped a lot of people up. And, you know, they may or may not make it to mainnet to run pools. And I think from a philosophical standpoint, we want those guys in our community. And so if we can provide them any type of incentive to continue doing what they're doing, I think it's a it's a win win for everyone. That's a great point, Kyle. Yeah, it might provide them just enough resources to keep going. You're a very thoughtful man, Kyle. I got to hand it to you. You really care. You really do, man. Thanks, man. You're the best. <laughs> you really are. I'm good. Thank you for that. Pay, thank you for coming on. Yes. New addition to the me. podcast. Charles, thank you for returning. You met Kyle. Thank you guys for returning to the podcast. And so, Philippe, you want to take us out, sir, for, with the summary here? And we're yes, out. of course, of course. So, thank you, everyone, for tuning in on this Friday evening. It's Friday evening where we're recording. So, it's Friday. It's late Friday afternoon where Charles is at. Thank you, Pei. Thank you, Med. Thank you, Kyle. And, of course, thank you, Charles. And 
We have a very special episode today. This was our live stream, so we're not going to be doing a live stream on Saturday or Sunday, but we are recording another Cardano Effect podcast tomorrow morning. So Rick and I have to wake up early tomorrow morning, and that should come out early next week, and it should be a good episode. I'm not supposed to say what the episode is going to be about but you'll find out soon enough. So once again, make sure you keep following us. Make sure you keep sharing, liking, and commenting. We appreciate all the support. This podcast is growing. And until the next episode of The Cardano Effect, thank you, everyone. Have a beautiful evening. Can I say one thing? Yeah, yeah. go for it. The ITN lives on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Right. This was so Thank much fun. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Take care.